Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Well, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks, what is parental alienation? And I've also heard the question, what is parental alienation syndrome? And is that a real thing? So this is an interesting topic that comes up fairly frequently when counseling individuals who are going through a divorce, specifically a divorce that involves a custody dispute. Parental alienation is when one parent tries to damage the relationship between the children or a child and the other parent. So the technical definition would be parental alienation refers to either a state of the relationship between a child and a parent whom the child rejects without good cause, or to the child's attitudes, beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that reflect an unreasonable aversion to the parent with whom he or she formerly enjoyed normal relations. For example, a mother and a father are going through a divorce. The couple has a daughter. So the mother tells the daughter, about how bad the father is, trying to make the daughter have a negative view of the father, also trying to get the daughter to sympathize with the mother's position. Ostensibly, the end goal would be for the daughter to tell a judge that she wants to live with the mother and not the father, and potentially to tell the judge that she doesn't want to see the father at all. Generally, parental alienation is divided into three levels of severity across two dimensions. Parental alienating behaviors and the level of severity of the child's parental alienation. So as I illustrate these levels across these two dimensions, I'm going to stay with this example of the mother engaging in parental alienating behaviors just for the sake of clearly identifying to whom I am referring. Of course, it doesn't have to be a mother. It could be either parent who is engaging in these behaviors. And of course, it doesn't have to be a daughter. It could also be a son. So starting with the parental alienating behaviors, again, this is an example of what the mother would do. The first level is mild. This is fairly common, and we see this in a lot of couples who are getting a divorce. The mother might say something critical of the father to the daughter. It's more of an occasional thing, expressing dissatisfaction or anger. The behavior does tend to increase after separation, but if it's at the mild level of severity, the mother will often regret the behavior and make an effort to change it and support the daughter's positive relationship with the father. The next level is moderate. Here we see the communication of negative themes about the father, like the idea that the father had an affair, like the idea that the father doesn't really love the daughter, he only wants custody of the daughter to get back at the mother. 
the idea that the father is dangerous and violent or a worthless human being, and also this idea that he's being manipulative. With the moderate level, the mother has difficulty recognizing how inappropriate her behavior is. Then we have the severe level. With this level, we see recurring, harsh, unmitigated criticism. The mission here is to destroy the child's relationship with the father. Some examples. The mother who reprimands or punishes the daughter because the daughter asked to spend time with the father, or the daughter didn't express enough negative sentiment to the father, so she wasn't negative enough, or maybe she was a little bit positive, which would be even worse, or the daughter didn't outright refuse to have contact with the father. Parents at this level have an unwavering view of the other parent. They are more likely to violate a court order, like specifically one around parental visitation schedules, and parents at this level often accuse the other parent of numerous bad acts. So how about the levels of severity from the other point of view, the three dimensions related to the child who has been exposed to parental alienating behaviors from a parent? At the mild level of parental alienation in the daughter, again, I'm using the daughter here as the example, the daughter may complain a little bit about spending time with the father, may resist the idea, but when she's with the father, her behavior returns to normal. Any negative thoughts, feelings, or behaviors go away. So, of course, this level of parental alienation isn't ideal, but it's not really the focus of too much attention. There's much more attention related to the moderate and severe levels. Typically, the mild level of severity doesn't become worse. It doesn't advance to a higher level of severity. So moving to the moderate level, here the daughter strongly resists contact with the father to the point where she is withdrawn, antagonistic, contemptuous, and difficult to manage when she's in the presence of the father. Unfortunately, a child at this level is often on a course to end up at the severe parental alienation level. So unlike the mild level, this one does have a progression to it, typically. So moving to the severe level, here we see nothing short of intense fear and hatred toward the father. The daughter refuses to go with the father, or if she does go, she only goes grudgingly. The daughter engages in deliberately defiant and oppositional acts to send a clear message to the father. Like when she's with the father, she has continual contact with the mother through social media posts, talking on the telephone, or text messaging. The daughter may destroy or steal possessions of the father, particularly if those possessions have some sort of sentimental value or if they're documents related to the divorce proceedings. She may also directly threaten the father with harm or run away. Another symptom we see at this level is entering into a conspiracy with the mother to falsely accuse the father of bad acts. This behavior at the severe level and even at the other two levels is often factored in by the court. A judge is less likely to compel a child to spend time with the parent when the child behaves in this manner. Now, some mental health professionals and lawyers believe that claims of parental alienation should never be considered by a court. Most mental health professionals and lawyers don't believe this, but several do, and they have a few reasons for their beliefs. They say that parental alienation cannot be accurately identified, so it's a behavior that can't be easily verified. Someone can make a claim and there's no way to prove or disprove that. Another reason would be that they believe the parental alienation claim is used by parents who simply want to escape responsibility for their own bad acts. So using that earlier example, the father would claim that the mother is engaging in parental alienating behaviors, even though he was guilty of maltreatment. And that really explains why the daughter 
is rejecting him. So perhaps he really doesn't want custody of the daughter for any other reason than to get back at the mother. This is referred to as a false positive identification of parental alienation. So the court believes the father when they should not have believed him. It's interesting to me that this movement ever gained any ground, this idea that parental alienation should not be considered by judges. We know from the scientific literature that parental alienating behaviors and the presence of parental alienation in a child can be readily identified. So this idea that we don't know parental alienation when we see it is just not true. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris, and I'm your host, This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. Now, it is fair to say that it's not always easy to distinguish normative problematic behaviour from parental alienation. And in a moment, I'll review seven criteria that can be used by mental health professionals to aid in making this distinction. Now, as far as the lying part, the idea that one parent is going to lie about parental alienation, lying is something that mental health professionals and lawyers who are working with divorcing clients need to get used to. It's remarkably common in these situations. Sometimes it's not as much about lying, though, as just different perceptions, as well as emotions getting in the way of reason and clouding people's judgment. Just because sometimes people lie about parental alienation doesn't mean that all claims of parental alienation are untrue. Interestingly, this is the position taken by the professionals that want to prohibit courts from considering evidence of parental alienation. They believe that there are nothing but false positives when it comes to parental alienation, which seems like a really extreme and surprising view for people that in theory would have some understanding of science, human behavior, and the evaluation of evidence. Now, part of the problem here is that in the 1980s, there was this idea of parental alienation syndrome proposed by a man named Dr. Richard Gardner. He really took the theory too far, and it wasn't supported by any scientific evidence. Now, some people equate the idea of the syndrome to just plain parental alienation. The syndrome, of course, is not well supported, but the idea of parental alienation is. So, One is a proposed mental disorder that was essentially debunked, and the other is simply a behavior. We know that parental alienation can occur and does occur fairly regularly in these custody disputes. These professionals are denying the reality of manipulation. Another example of the professional community not being aware of the presence and power of narcissism. They seem to be willing to believe that narcissism exists on the side of somebody alleging parental alienation but they don't believe that if somebody's accused of it, they could be narcissistic or deceptive. Fortunately, this group of professionals is fairly small. The vast majority of mental health professionals and lawyers agree that a parent can manipulate a child into rejecting the other parent when the other parent did not deserve to be rejected 
or would not have ordinarily been rejected if not for the first parent's interference. So earlier I mentioned seven criteria that may be used to help make the distinction between negative behavior in a child that's not related to parental alienation and negative behavior that is. This list of criteria, of course, is no substitute for a professional evaluation. Rather, these are considered guidelines to be used by professionals in conjunction with their clinical judgment. These criteria apply only to the moderate and severe levels of parental alienation. So let's take a look at the seven criteria pointing toward negative behavior that was caused by parental alienation. So number one is that the behavior is persistent as opposed to temporary. So there's a chronic nature to it. Number two, the behavior is frequent rather than occasional. Three, the behavior occurs in most situations rather than only in certain situations. Four, the behavior occurs without displays of love and affection toward the rejected parent. So a lack of balance there. Five, the behavior is directed toward only one parent. I've seen many situations where one parent believes that they're being rejected, and it turns out that both parents are really seeing the same behavior being directed toward them. So both parents are being rejected. Number six, the behavior is not typical for the child's stage of development. This is always important to keep in mind. What should the child be doing based on where they are developmentally? And number seven, the behavior is disproportionate to and not justified by the rejected parent's past or current behavior. So what if it turns out that the child's behavior was not caused by parental alienation? What else could explain the negative behavior? Well, as it turns out, a lot of different things. Sometimes children are sad and anxious about parental separation. That makes sense. Sometimes they have difficulty adjusting to new situations and stress. They may be reluctant to spend time away from the parent that they believe needs more emotional support. So with that example of the daughter that I used before, the daughter may really identify with the mother and worry about the mother and the mother's emotional well-being. So it makes it look like the daughter doesn't want to spend time with the father when it's really about focusing more attention on the mother's needs. We also see that sometimes the other parent is hanging around with somebody that the child doesn't want to hang around with. For example, the father has a new girlfriend and the daughter doesn't want to spend time with that girlfriend. So it's not about really rejecting the father. It's about rejecting that girlfriend. Sometimes the child is simply closer to one parent than the other. And likely the situation would be a pre-existing situation, right? It would occur before the separation started. A child may feel more comfortable at one parent's home. Like all their stuff is there, their own bed, their own TV, they're simply more comfortable with the setup of the room. Or the negative behavior simply could have already been in progress. The child was moving away from one parent and toward the other, perhaps before the separation. It's not unusual as a child grows up that their level of attachment changes with both the parents, and sometimes they move to being more detached. If that happens to correspond with the separation, one or both of the parents may think that the separation is causing that detachment. So those are some thoughts on parental alienation. When couples are going through a separation, that's a very stressful time. So it makes sense that people would be more aware and alert to situations like this. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. 
To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslonga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.